I just looked up the jacaranda, and it really does bloom purple. Welcome to Cardboard and Wine, episode 24. I'm Mamie. And I'm Josh. Grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's talk about some games. Today on the show, we take a stroll down a winding path of majestic foliage, comprised entirely of playing cards, as we discuss the deceptively agonizing strategy card game, Arboretum. Maybe another nature-themed game. I know. We're starting to find a trend, I think. I know. We discussed wingspan last week, and now we need somewhere for these birds to roost. Apparently, it's in the forest this time. Well, before we jump into talking about our game of the week, Arboretum, looks like I have a delicious red wine in front of me. You do. Tonight, we actually have one of our favorites. Back in December, I think it was, maybe episode 19, I think, we talked about a Klein Old Vine Zinfandel that we had and how Klein Vineyards was one of the wineries we visited on our trip out to California. And this is another Klein wine tonight. This is a red blend, the Klein Cashmere. Oh, I remember the Cashmere very well. Yeah, so we enjoyed the Cashmere so much when we were out there that we brought a bottle home. And then when I was out there again a few years ago, I brought another bottle of Cashmere back with me. And I was super excited because I found this one at our grocery store. Yep, I was happy when you brought it home. And so let's, uh, I'm eager to sample it again. Let's try it. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, it's great. Everything I remember loving about it. It's, it's really flavorful. There's a lot, a lot going on, a lot of complexity, a lot of nice jammy flavors, but it's very well balanced. It's smooth like cashmere. It's soft. Yeah. Very smooth. I see why they call it that. I wonder how they get that. Um, smoothness. I think it's just the, the blend, right? I mean, what is this? It, what is the blend of? Yeah, so this one is a blend of Morvedra, Syrah, and Grenache. And so I think that's what it is. It's that blend. There's no Merlot in it. No Merlot, no. There you go. I actually found out an interesting thing when I was looking this one up. You know, when we were out there back in 2009, they had one red blend that was the Cashmere. But now Cashmere actually stands for a whole series of blends that they have. They have, you know, a white and a rosé and then this red, and they also have a black. Oh, I probably won't like that one. No, but I probably would. I usually don't like those wines that classify themselves as dark or black. They're almost a, not fortified, but almost a more... Uh, They're a heavier, almost like a, almost like a port. They're like uh, oh, not yeah, quite that. Yeah, a little that, more syrupy, but, uh, concentrated flavor maybe. Yeah. Well, I'll stick with this uh, cashmere red wine blend. This is delicious. And some of our listeners might be able to find this. If you see it on your shelf, your grocer's shelf, you will not be disappointed no, it's to pick it up. Delicious. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some gaming. Last night, I had the the privilege, a good friend, Dave, came over and brought his copy of Concordia. And Mamie, you were out. It was just the yeah, two of us. Yeah, I had book us. club, so I missed out on that. But uh, our listeners might remember, I played Concordia for the first time at our local Who's Turn Con. And I would not say I was smitten by it. I had a good time. I had a, a fine enough time, but I was unsure about it. The The theme was rather uninspiring to me at the time. But it's one of those games, I've been thinking about it more and more since I played it. And I remember being just really intrigued by the way that everything you do in the game is driven by these cards. So you're kind of, you have, have the starting hand of cards and you're drafting more cards and 
that completely dictates the actions you take. And then sort of like, well, almost like a century spice road, you know, at some mm. point the actions you can do are limited by the cards that you play. Once you've played them, you can't do that action anymore. So you might have to burn a turn to pick your cards back up. Um, so there's sort of that mechanism on this game where you're moving around a board and trying to get some resources and trade them in. And, and, and also like, you don't even know what victory points you have. You don't score till the end. So you don't really know what's going on. So, I was kind of interested to play it again. Dave brought it over, and we just had such a great time playing Concordia. Yeah, it definitely looked interesting. I want to give it a try sometime soon. Yeah, so that might be uh, one, to, one. I would like to get you to play that one, Mamie. You haven't had a chance to. I think you'll like it. Yeah, we've we've been playing a lot of The Great Zimbabwe recently. Yeah, we have. So one thing that I wanted to institute in 2019 as a gaming resolution is... I feel like, Mamie, as our collection has grown, we have a number of games that really deserve repeated plays. And, you know, that's a problem with having more and more games is given that you have finite gaming time, we have finite gaming time, um, the number of times that each individual game gets played decreases. And, you know, some of these games, you really don't appreciate them, I don't think, especially these heavier, more complex games, until you've really gone through them at least four or five times. At a minimum, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I w- I'm definitely finding that true with The Great Zimbabwe. I mean, we've played kind of one-off times over the last couple of years. You know, we'll play, and then we won't get it to the table again for a couple months, and then we'll play again. And because we've had some sort of concentrated play in the last few weeks, I definitely feel like I have a better understanding of it. I'm developing a better you know, strategy, a better idea of all the different complexity in the game. And it does. It increases the enjoyment of playing yeah and you know as far as splatter games go the great zimbabwe is is certainly the the shortest in playtime, and also i would say the most focused in the scope of the game um, has sort of less of an epic feel to it but that being said it's really an abstract game i would say but i think it's one of those that it does take a few plays to really wrap your mind around it and to really see what it is you need to do and form any sort of real long-term strategy. Um, but I agree. I think that, you know, you and I have actually played it three or four times over the last couple of weeks. And yeah, I think the game has really opened up for me and I've been more able to, or I think we have been more able to enjoy the gameplay of it because it's been a little more straightforward to see the different routes and logistics and that we need to perform in the game. Well, and I think there's also something to being able to just put it on the table and play and not have to, you know, relearn the rules. You know, when you go a long time between gameplay, you spend a chunk of time just remembering what the basic rules are. And we haven't had to do that. We're able to just put it on the table and play. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. So for February, that's been our game of the month, The Great Zimbabwe. We will see what game is next. But the great thing about doing this, too, is it provides us a lot of interesting thoughts and fodder for potential future episodes. That's true. Although I kind of feel bad discussing The Great Zimbabwe on the show because it is currently out of print and eBay is your best option for buying it right now. that might be torture for listeners. But speaking of games that are out of print and splatter games... Yeah, uh, it was announced recently that the game Roads and Boats, which was, I believe... The original, if not one of the original, certainly the original of the big five uh, Splatter games that has been out of print for uh, a few years. So what Splatter tends to do is they will will reprint one game every year or so. And so this year it is time for Roads and Boats. And that is actually the only 
of the Splatter Big Five games, the Big Five being Food Chain Magnate, Antiquity, Indonesia, the Great Zimbabwe, and Roads and Boats. That's the only one of those five that we don't currently own. Man, it's too bad you decided not to buy any new games this year. Well, we can always, <laughs> can always try for next year, I guess. <laughs> Have you already pre-ordered it? Maybe. <laughs> you know, Splatter. I feel like these Splatter games are instant buy for me because I think they're so unique and so intriguing and so different than anything else we have. I don't know. There's just something about them that uh, tickles my fancy. I can see that. We definitely enjoy all of them. I've enjoyed Great Zimbabwe. I I noticed when I came to the table tonight to record, Indonesia was sitting here and I was wondering if that was going to make it into our game of the month soon. Foreshadowing. Uh, I know. I wonder. I'm really tempted to. I hate to go back to back splatter games, but uh, again, that's a game I love that we Indonesia. have not played enough to really appreciate. Yeah, we haven't. So, so we shall see. Only time will tell. That's right. But for now, we want to talk about our game of the week. But before we do... We want to say a big thank you to our Patreon patrons. If you'd like to support the show, simply go to patreon.com forward slash cardboard and wine or click the Become a Patron button on our website and we'll send you a cardboard and wine button. We sure will. All right, Mamie, let's talk about our game of the week, Arboretum. Arboretum is a card game designed by Dan Kesser, originally published in 2015. In Arboretum, you take on the role of curator for, you guessed it, an Arboretum. Your goal is to create the most breathtaking path of trees, represented by 10 suits of cards, each a different tree species, numbered 1 to 8. Players start with a hand of 7 cards, and on a turn, they simply draw 2 new cards from the deck or from a discard pile in front of each player. Then, they play one card into the growing arboretum in front of them, and lastly, discard a card to their discard pile. When building one's arboretum, a new tree card can be placed not only to the left or right of an existing card, but also above or below, spreading paths of trees in two dimensions. The game ends when a player picks up the last card from the face-down draw deck. The best arboretum is determined by scoring paths of each tree type. A path is a group of adjacent cards that start and end with the same type of tree, where each subsequent tree in the group is in ascending order. One point is scored for each card in the path with a bonus point if a path starts with a 1, and two bonus points if the path ends with an 8. If the path consists of at least four tree cards, and they're all the same type of tree, each tree in the path is worth double or two points. But here's the big catch. Only one player can score each type of tree's path, and the right to score a path of a particular tree type is given to the player that has the highest value of cards of that type still in their hand. So, you may have an amazing long path of oak trees in your arboretum, but if you didn't save any oaks in your hand and your opponent has any oak card at all, they will score an oak path, even if they don't even have one. As an additional wrinkle, if any player has the one card the lowest of the suit, in their hand at the end of the game, it automatically makes any eight card of that suit still in a player's hand worth zero. These rules on their own are not overly complicated to learn, but create an intriguing extra layer of strategy. All right, Mamie, so what would you say originally drew us to Arboretum? Well, you know, we are always on the lookout for games that play well with two players, you know, in a reasonable amount of time and have that kind of blend of simplicity, but interesting choices. I mean, I think we also enjoy the fact that it's a card game. You know, it's easy to throw in our bag and and take with us. It's kind of right 
in our alley of games that we enjoy. Plus, it has that nature theme, which, as we've already mentioned, we're kind of into. And, you know, it has pretty trees. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'd heard a lot of good things about Arboretum from a lot of different places, you know, whether it was, you know, from people who typically like more casual games, uh, maybe lighter, more medium games, but also from some some folks I know who really like heavier and more complicated games uh, were really saying some good things about Arboretum. So I feel like from lots of different angles and lots of different places, people uniformly were saying great things about it. And, you know, all those things you said too, Mamie, uh, a nice portable card game is something that we always uh, always enjoy that supposedly plays well with too. And we can talk more about that in a second. But you mentioned these cards, Mamie. Let's talk a little bit about the components of Arboretum. I mean, the components really are straightforward. They're a deck of cards. Yeah, uh, you're right. That is primarily what you get is you get a deck of cards. Um, but I will say we have the, the more recent printing from Renegade Game Studio. If you're looking online or in your game store, it's the one in the purple and blue box that has the purple jacaranda tree. Are you familiar with that tree? No, I did not Do know that was that a thing. I don't know. And are they actually purple? I can't believe they would be that purple. I'm going <laughs> to Google that. No, the one in the game is very purple, but uh, you, you look at that. But the cards really are gorgeous. Um, I love the aesthetic of them. And each type of tree is a suit, and there are those 10 different suits. And each suit not, has not only its own color and tree image, but also it has its own unique symbol with the, the very clear number uh, printed on it. So, you know, given that difference in color and symbol, uh, it makes it very easy to quickly tell what cards you have in your hand and glancing at them. And also I'll mention too, it's sort of a small thing, but I love the backs of the cards. They're really pleasing, this blue and purple, and they almost remind me of like an old-fashioned playing card in their design. I think they're, they're really, really well done. And, and, you know, good quality cards, shuffle well. So I just looked up the Jacaranda because I was fascinated, and it really does bloom purple. But it's more in like tropical and subtropical regions. So we don't have them around here. But they are in like Central America, South America, the Caribbean. Well, I'm going to be on the lookout for one. They're beautiful. Yeah, very beautiful. I'll mention besides those cards, Mamie, you do get one other thing. You get a a score pad um, and a fairly nice score pad, I would say. Yeah, it definitely makes it easy to score each of the different types of trees at the end of the game. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it would be just as easy for Renegade Game Studio to put just a plain black and white score pad. But really, the the colorful score pad does help with the efficiency of scoring the game because it has not only the list of the names of trees, but it has each of those symbols for each of the suits in the color, in the appropriate color, uh, making it easy from a glance to say, oh, we're going to do the blue spruce now, and that's the little blue pine cone, and everybody can quickly look for that symbol um, in their hand and in their arboretum. So, uh, so functional as well, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think those symbols and color um, colors are an important part of the visual appeal of this game. You know, I will say recently we had the opportunity to play with the Deluxe Edition. Our friend Dave has that one, and the Deluxe Edition comes with like a pretty engraved wooden box and iridescent foil cards and a little embroidered fabric bag. The box is pretty amazing. Yeah, the box is really pretty. And I the cards are pretty, but honestly, I almost feel like they were a little harder to read. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned they're this sort of iridescent... Kind of rainbow. Coating, rainbowy color. Um, and actually, on one level, they look really cool. 
But functionally, as we were playing, the way the light would catch them, I noticed I could see mine okay, the ones right in front of me. But as I looked, you know, a big part of this game is is observing what types of trees your opponents are playing in their arboretum. And as I was looking across the table, maybe at, at you or, or the person seated diagonally from me, I actually had a really hard time. I had to sort of crane my neck around <laughs> so that the light didn't catch the cards in a certain way so I could tell what, what people had. You know, I saw somewhere online, somebody had suggested that if they were going to add that iridescent foil, that they put it on the back of the card instead of on the face. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, it made a lot of sense. Maybe for Deluxe Edition 2.0. Right. So, Mamie, we've talked a little bit about those uh, really beautiful cards, but let's talk about the gameplay of Arboretum. You know, kind of like the components, at face value, the rules of Arboretum are pretty simple, but gameplay really is not. I mean, it's packed full of difficult choices. Each round, you draw two cards, and those can either come from the draw pile or from your opponent's discard piles. And you choose one of those that you're going to add to your Arboretum and one that you're going to discard. And it, you know, sounds easy enough, but the challenge comes in choosing which cards to play. You know, whether you want to play them in your Arboretum and even within your Arboretum, you can play them horizontally or vertically, kind of in you know, two dimensions. And then you also have to decide, decide which cards you're going to keep because, as you mentioned, there's that in-game scoring that relies on the cards you have in your hand and which cards to discard. And, you know, you have to keep an eye on what you're building, what you're holding, what your opponents are building. And, you know, every single choice seems to matter. And sometimes it feels like there's no good choice and sometimes it feels like there are too many good choices. Yeah, I think that is a fascinating part of this game. And really, that to me, that's what bumps up the complexity of the game a notch is, you know, it would be one thing if it mattered just what cards you played and what cards you discard. But the fact that it also is critically important to think about what cards you just keep in your hand at the end of the game that you don't play is critical to how you and your opponent score. And I think that's fascinating. And I'll talk a little more about that in a minute. You know, this game reminds me a little bit of a game we've talked about on the show, a favorite, Lost Cities, certainly in the mechanism of needing to play sequences of cards in ascending order. But in some way, I would say um, the tensions of which card to play um, in Lost Cities, to me, that's really gut-wrenching is <laughs> thinking about uh, that game really stresses me out sometimes of thinking about oh do i really want to start this path or not because in that game once you start a path you're locked in to that path and you better hope it works out well that's kind of true in this as well i mean there are no negative points i guess for leaving a path unfinished but at the same time once you've kind of started down building a certain path in your arboretum there is sort of a pressure or desire to want to keep that one going. And that, I think that definitely creates some tension. No, I guess that's true. But, you know, I do think, as you said, you know, unlike a Lost Cities where you get some pretty major negative points if your path isn't long enough. In this one, there's really no other than the wasted turns. But then the other side, to me, that takes a little bit of the tension off of where to play is the fact if you happen to draw, you, know, you start a path with a three or a four, but then you happen to draw the one or two later, you can always drop that card to the left side um, or to the right side. You can sort of build from both ends. And then you get a little more flexibility by being able to sort of snake up or snake down and, you know, even put some cards in between that aren't of the same suit. So to me, uh, a lot of the 
the tension of this game comes with uh, which cards to discard. So in my mind, that's actually the hardest choice I feel like I face in this game. You only get seven cards in your hand. And as the game goes on, you mentioned it yourself, Mamie, oftentimes every card seems good and important to you in some way. (laughs) And you don't want to get rid of any of them um, because they all serve a purpose. And the decision of which card to discard really often boils down to which of these discards is going to help my opponents the least, Um, especially in a four-player game. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was just thinking that the tension is more tight in a two-player game because you you know that what you give that other person is going to benefit them. When you're playing a four-player game, you don't necessarily know, especially early in the game, who's going to pick it up. And you don't necessarily know towards end game who's holding uh, what in their hands for end game scoring. In a two-player game, by the time you reach end game, you can pretty much predict what the other person has in their hand for end game scoring. And so it's a little easier to know for sure whether or not you're going to be able to score your paths. Yeah, that is true. And and I actually don't know if this is a positive or negative of the game, but as the game marches on, it becomes a little more of a complete information game because you know every card is used. So you can look at all the cards laid out before you. And if a card is missing from an Arboretum, you know someone has it in their hand because there are no cards that are left out of the suits that you're playing with. Um, I actually think it could be an interesting additional wrinkle to put into the game if like three cards were left out oh, yeah. at the start of the game. But I don't know. I could also see advantages to having all that perfect information. It's not perfect information, uh, but you're right. In a two-player game, it is because you know, well, there's no three of the so, oak tree. I so don't have it. he has to have it. So Mamie has it. But I guess for me, the, the thing about the four-player game that can be more agonizing is at least in our plays, I feel like with a two-player game, there's only so many different paths you can go for realistically. And so it seems like in our plays, even though you, you leave some of, you don't play with all the suits in a lower player count, I feel like there's always been at least a couple of types of trees that neither of us ends up using. So there's been at least a few more options of trees like well okay the i know these dogwoods are the discards <laughs> yeah nobody wants those whereas yeah. in that four those four player games i mean somebody is using everything and in fact if everybody starts discarding all the dogwood trees somebody's going to start picking up the dogwoods yeah i mean i think it's interesting cuz we we definitely enjoy this game as a two player game but i mean i think it plays better with three or four yeah, you know, I was thinking a lot about that. And you know, I think that's one thing that I would classify as a strength of this game is it does feel like a slightly different experience, but I would say I enjoy it equally well playing it just the two of us or playing it with three or four players. In fact, to some degree, one thing that I think I like about playing it with the two of us is it's so quick. Yeah, I mean, the, the quick play of a two-player game is awesome. Yeah, I mean, we've been playing, the two of us, we play this game in about 20 minutes, Um Four-player game, a little over half an hour, closer to 35 minutes, but 20 minutes is is pretty good. One thing about gameplay, another thing that's kind of interesting about this game that is really a unique feature of it is in building that Arboretum, you play these cards in two dimensions. We talked about your paths can certainly go left to right, but they can also go up and down or even really snake around. And one of the things that's hard for me to get my head around is not only can they go left to right, they can go right to left. Oh, that's a good point. And not only can they go top to bottom, they can go bottom to top. Yeah, I mean, as long as they follow a continuous path, you're right. You could have the one 
And then it starts building from right to left, then it goes up, then it goes left again, then it goes down. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You really have to, spatially, you have to have a little bit of an idea for what you're trying to do um, as you're putting it together. And again, I think it's a small thing. Like, it's not hard to understand what you can do, but it's just another one of those little things that bumps the complexity of decision making up in this otherwise very simple game. Yeah, you know, we've played, I don't know, 10 or 12 times. And I still feel like I don't fully have a handle on the best way to build my Arboretum. I mean, I feel like I should. I should know how to do it. But every game kind of presents new challenges. And my brain is struggling to wrap itself around this game. I mean, I really like the orderly structure of games like Azul. And I keep trying to make this game like that. But I think that's actually probably a bad strategy. Well, you know, that's the thing. Depending on what cards you get. If you're lucky and you just get a bunch of the same card, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you play a row of these cards, these similar cards. But I do, I do agree. I think there probably, there probably is some strategy where, you know, you can count cards multiple times in multiple paths. Um, The only rule for, for scoring a path is it has to start and end with a card of that suit. But the cards in the middle, as long as they're in ascending order, can be of different types of trees. So you could easily have some four, fives, and sixes in the middle that, based on how you build your Arboretum, could score for multiple different paths. And I don't think I've totally utilized the, that strategy. Uh, I think there might be a lot more to that. And really, to me, like that says a lot about this game, the fact we have played this fairly straightforward rule set of a game 10 or 12 times, and we still feel like there's a lot more, uh, a lot of ways we could improve. I think that is the hallmark of a of a fairly good game. Yeah, I mean, just this last week, I very, very intentionally said to myself, don't worry about getting all of the same trees in a row. Just focus on getting the first and the last. And I had to like stop myself a few times and and really focus on that. And I actually won the first time I've ever, the first time I've ever won this game. And it was satisfying, right? It was. It was not easy to break that <laughs> desire to have lines of the same thing. Yeah. So, so besides winning that game, uh, what's your what's your favorite thing about Arboretum so far? You know, there's a lot I enjoy about the game. I like the pretty cards, and you know, I like that it's easily portable and it's pretty quick to teach and quick to play. But I think my favorite thing about this game is is what we were just talking about, kind of how deceptively simple it is, right? Like in theory, you just play a card in ascending order, but it's not that easy. It's packed full of tough choices. And every game is a little different. I mean, it, again, we've played 10 or 12 times in a pretty short period of time, and it's still a really interesting game. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things I think is my favorite part of this game is is the scoring mechanism. And I, I alluded to this earlier, the fact that the game is as much about, or at least scoring well in the game, and winning the game is as much about the decisions for the cards you don't play as it is the cards that you do play. Because again, you could have the most perfectly extended path of maple trees that theoretically are worth 20 points. But if you haven't planned to also hold back some of those cards in your hand, they may be worthless to you at the end because um, whoever has the highest value of cards, and that's highest value of cards. So um, it's worth noting the cards in the Arboretum themselves, the number on the card only matters as far as where you play it. It has to go in ascending order. Uh, But each card itself 
is worth just one point or two points if the path is all the same cards, with the exception of the one and eight that give you bonus points. But then there's this little wrinkle that when I first read it in the rule book, I thought, well, that's kind of random. Um, the fact that if you have a one in your hand at the end of the game, then that one makes any eight that is in another player's hand worth zero. And I thought, well, that's kind of like a weird extra rule in this otherwise really streamlined, straightforward game. But oh my gosh, when you play this game one time, oh my gosh. you realize that rule is killer. Yeah, I believe we've both been burned by that. Yeah, because you know what you want to do is, you know, if you want to score a path, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to just hold back the eight. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really take Mamie down because I'm going to keep this eight and the eight's the biggest card. Um, but all you have to do is have that one in your hand and that completely negates the eight and then your one beats the eight. And, um, you know, then on top of that, there's what we mentioned with the scoring, the one and the eight are also worth bonus points in your path. So as the player, you're really thinking through like, ah, oh, I don't want to throw these cards down because there's the allure of these bonus points. But do I keep the one to cancel the eight or do I play the one for the bonus points? It's or, tricky. Yeah, it's really tricky. Um, and then you'll say like, oh, I played the one. I can do this with the eight. I don't know. It just, it, it's one of those things too, where I feel like, and I've, it happened to me and I've seen it happen to other players where you really have to play through a game once and see the scoring and realize that no matter what, no matter how the rules are explained, how well the rules are explained to you, you will over-focus on building your Arboretum and you'll forget to hold back enough cards and your masterpiece will be worth zero points and you won't make that mistake again. Yeah, I've definitely had at least once when my Arboretum scored zero. Yeah, and I love that. That's that's one of my favorite <laughs> uh, parts of the game. Is there anything that you would say you don't like about the game? I don't know. I think there's a, there's a lot to like. And some of the things that I don't like so much are mitigated a little bit by the fact the playtime is so short. I mean, what you can do is completely dependent on the cards that you draw. And you know, while you have some control by being able to draw cards that are face up in other players' discard piles, um, you know, a lot of times you are, sometimes you'll have a very unlucky or a very fortuitous draw from the, the draw pile and you'll get exactly the card you need or you'll never get the cards you exactly need. So at times, luck can provide a little bit of a boost um, to a player by no, <laughs> by no great decision-making of their own. But, you know, I'll say that Again, because the game is relatively short, I can live with it. And I guess it goes into something I like about the game, and that is you do start with a little bit of the beginnings of strategy when you get your initial hand of seven cards. You think a little bit about, okay, looks like maybe I should start um, the Jacaranda path or whatever. Uh, but then it becomes a little more tactical as the game goes on, and you're like, oh, well, Mamie's putting those cards down. Maybe I should pivot. And, and it turns into some of the interesting decision-making of, when do you stick with the strategy you initially set out to do? And when do you, is it too late in the game? Or when do you decide to pivot and try to um, go in a different direction? So there is a luck factor in the game, but to a certain degree that can provide some interesting decision-making. Yeah, I would say that's probably the one thing I struggle with a little bit. I mean, I know the game is all about making the most out of what you do get. And you, like you said, you do have that choice to pick up from the discard pile. So there's a little bit of known there, but I've played games where I feel like I just can't seem to get cards that I need. And I can sometimes find that a little frustrating. I mean, I think that might fit in 
to the thing I was talking about earlier, where my brain seems to struggle with the lack of a clear path, (laughs) pun intended there. Um, I want to make the path a certain way, and I'm not getting the cards for that. So I'm, I'm still, even after a lot of play, wrapping my head around being able to make that pivot that you're talking about and have that flexibility. So that I think that's probably the thing I struggle with the most in this game. I don't know if it's necessarily a problem with the game. I think it, if anything, it kind of adds complexity and interest. Yeah, I think it's a critical part of the game actually is, and you mentioned this yourself, Mamie, in the couple of recent games you won, is not being willing to let go of an initial strategy when you're not getting the cards to do that strategy and not seeing a different maybe more profitable strategy based on cards you do get um, can be killer in this game. Yeah. And the game's relatively short, so you can't wait around. No, you have to make that decision pretty quickly. And I would say that's another issue that we've run into in early plays is, you know, you kind of settle in for a longer game, but the end comes quickly. And then you're like, oh, crap, there's three cards left. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mamie, so I guess the last thing is when and with whom would we break this game out? You know, I could see us breaking this game out with a lot of different folks. It's really kind of a basic concept and well the theme is one I think a lot of people would like the fact that it's you know a deck of cards we can take it out to the bar and have a beer and play um you know I don't think the kids are ready for this level of strategy I mean I struggle with it but I think I think it's a game that a lot of people would enjoy yeah, I think the fact you can teach it so quickly, you know, I would love to say that it's a great bar game. The one it problem does spread is a it little. does spread out. Yeah, yeah that's it, true. Depending on how which direction your arboretum goes, there've been a few times I've had to sort of slide my whole thing. <laughs> that's true. Up Gotta and down have on big the table. tables. Yeah. All right, Mamie. Well, we've talked quite a bit about arboretum, so why don't we talk a little bit about our rating scale and give our final thoughts? Yeah, so as a reminder, on Cardboard and Wine, we use a one to five rating scale where one is an empty bottle, sad, disappointing, ready for the recycling bin. Two is a two buck chuck. It'll do if you don't have anything else. Three is a wine in a box. There are things about it that we like and things that we don't like. Four is like this nice cashmere. It's easy to enjoy. We've poured a glass. We're looking forward to pouring and enjoying more. And five is a big, bold California cab. It's going to only get better with age. All right, Mamie. So what do you think about Arboretum? So this was a hard one. I think I'm going to give Arboretum a four. It is definitely something that we're enjoying, and I can see us enjoying playing it a lot more. I think there is a potential for it to kind of become stale eventually. We're not there yet. I'm not even sure I completely understand the best strategy yet. But because there's not a lot of complexity to it in terms of variation, I guess, in gameplay, I think I could see where we might eventually get tired of it. So it's not quite a five, but it's definitely a solid four. Yeah, I think that's a great rating. And I agree with you on a lot of those points. For me, Arboretum checks a lot of the boxes for a game we're going to play a lot. It certainly isn't the main course in an evening of gaming, but it fits the bill nicely when we want to wind down after a heavier game, or if the two of us want to play something quick before bed. You know, the cards are beautiful, the game's portable, you can teach it in about five to ten minutes. You know, I find that there's tension, but I don't feel stressed. Uh, maybe it's because of those gorgeous trees that are just so soothing. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, Mamie. I'm gonna give Arboretum a solid four. I'm glad to have this one in my collection. I can agree with you that even after we played it ten or twelve times, I d- I don't know that I would want to play it every day 
Right. I think I would need a little more to, to really satisfy me to get that five. But um, yeah, I'm happy to have it. And I imagine uh, we'll play this game a bunch more times. For sure. All right, folks, thanks for listening to Cardboard and Wine, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. For show notes, links, and other fun info about the games we discuss on the show, you can visit our website at cardboardandwine.com. If you have feedback on the show or suggestions for a future show, you can send us a tweet at Board and Wine, email us cardboardandwine at gmail.com, or jump into our guild on Board Game Geek. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you, and it'll help new listeners find the show. All right, everyone. Until next time. Cheers and happy gaming. gaming.